Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I'm your host, Eric, a.k.a. Silior, and I apologize for the bit of a delay that there was before getting this episode done, and there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, number one, I recently had COVID, and um, yeah, if you follow me on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at TamrielP, you'll know that... I mentioned this. So, yeah, I recently had a bout with COVID. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. And it had been going on for a little bit. And But, yeah, there were a couple of days where I could hardly get out of bed. And, yeah, it sucks. Um, I'm not really going to get into that much other than what I already have. Um, but all I'm going to say is... Use your brains, people. Um, whether you are vax or anti-vax or what have you, um, whatever politics you believe in, I don't really like to talk about politics on this show. Unless it's Tamrielic politics, then hell yes. But, um, yeah, just use your brains and don't put yourself or the people around you in any unnecessary risk. Um, that's all I'm going to say. Um, I'm not really going to get into it other than that. Just use your common sense. Um, this is real. And yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Um, the other reason why I wanted to delay this episode a bit is because I wanted the global reveal for the next uh, Elder Scrolls Online year-long story to come out. And that has, and I'll be talking about that air in a few minutes so yeah let's go ahead and get into the news um i'm gonna save the uh global reveal for the end here but yeah um there was somebody there's an article on gamer.com that uh says that a person somehow beat oblivion in two and a half minutes now i have no idea how the hell that's possible because it takes me more than two and a half minutes to get out of the starting dungeon. Um, I don't know exactly how they calculated this, but there is a video um, that was uploaded on New Year's Eve showing the now updated world record time. So glitches are on the table. Um, so they began leaping outside of the world's bounds. So yeah, I don't know exactly how he was able to do this. So they hint, they run straight to the temple district and enter the temple of the one. Um, there's some more glitches and they trigger Mayrun's Dagon's invasion of the Imperial City. Um, it was peaceful a second ago, I swear. Now it's full of imps and remora, raging portals, and a lone prisoner in rags who just busted out. Breaking out of prison for that, go back, it's safer there. Um, and then they wait for a spell, and Martin appears, and he skips the dialogue, waits a bit more, and there you have it. Wow. Um, I'm not really sure what to think about that, but I guess he just wanted to say that he has done it. Yeah. Um, anyway... I didn't really see much in the news other than that, so let's go ahead and talk about the next chapter in ESO. It is called High Isle, um, 
and it's the, the year-long story is called The Legacy of the Bretons. So, and there's also a new DLC that's going to be starting this, uh, kicking this off. It's called Ascending Isles. I'm sorry, not Ascending Isles, Ascending Tide. So, yeah, this, uh, this, they wanted to do something completely different. So, this is an area, the High Isle area, it's an island, part of three different islands off of the coast of High Rock. And it's an area that's only been mentioned in one game, and that is Elder Scrolls, an Elder Scrolls adventure, uh, Redguard. So, it is mentioned on the map, but it has never been seen up until now. So this drops in June. So um, the Ascending Tide DLC is out March 14th for PC, Mac, and Stadia, and which uh, people still use Stadia. That kind of blows my mind right there. Um, and March 29th for Xbox and PlayStation consoles. And the High Isle chapter drops June 6th for PC, Mac, and Stadia, and June 21st for Xbox and PlayStation. Um, there are a couple of other DLCs that are going to be a part of this. Um, it just says quarter three and quarter four, but the date is going to be determined at a later date, um, or when it launches. So, the first, uh, sorry, quarter three, uh, DLC is going to be a dungeon, and quarter four is, of course, a story. They always end the year-long story with a story DLC, so I am definitely looking forward to playing this. So, not only is the chapter, or I'm sorry, the location something that they haven't really done, but the story is going to be something that hasn't been done. It's pretty new also, so it's not really going to do, has anything to do with Daedra. Um, which I guess the Civil War story didn't really have to do with Daedra in Skyrim, but and the overarching story in Skyrim didn't really have to do with any Daedra. But as far as ESO goes, most of the stories have to do with some sort of Daedra involvement. Like the main story has to do with Molag Ball, the Mages Guild kind of has to do with Sheogorath, the Fighters Guild doesn't really directly involved well no i take that back um fires guild did kind of have to do with melodic ball um and i'll talk about that here in a little bit the a lot of the chapters and story dlc have to do with daedra whether it is clavicus vile in morrowind or of course maroon's dagon in the deadlands or um three Daedra in the Somerset chapter. And, I mean, elsewhere didn't really directly um, had to do with dragons, but you get what I'm saying. Most of the, the story in uh, Elder Scrolls Online has to do with Daedra in some capacity, but this isn't really going to. It's going to do more with the um, Three Banners War, and kind of uh, clearing that up, as well as uh, just an overall, like the politics that are involved in Tamriel. So I'm kind of excited about this. Um, so with uh, this, there's also going to be. Uh, so here, let's talk about 
everything that's going to be involved in this. So there's a new zone, completely new zone, um, with the islands of High Isle and Amenos. And it says that the story has to do with politics, honor, and an intrigue that ties into the legacy of the Bretons. And the new, there's a new system that's going to be called the Tales of Tribune. Um, it's an in-game card game, which those are always fun, whether it's, um, you know, Gwent or I can't, I'm blanking on the card game that's in the um, Knights of the Old Republic games. But those, those are typically fun. Um, Elder Scrolls actually has their own card game, if you'd like to look that up. So there's also going to be a new 12-player trial named the Dreadsail Reef. And here's something that I'm excited about. There's going to be new companions with this. There's two companions. One is a Breton and one is a Khajiit. And their names are Ember and Isabel. And so those, uh, we haven't had any new companions since the Deadlands chapter. So I'm excited about that. So there's going to be new world events called Fishers. Uh, and then there's going to be new delves, public dungeons, world bosses, and a host of unique standalone quests. So this uh, release, this launch also has going to be, it's going to have some updates and quality of life improvements. So you can pre-purchase this now. And um, I think they said up until, yeah, up until April 4th, if you pre-purchase it, you get immediate access to a Pale Frost Elk mount and a Pale Frost Elk Fawn pet. So this pet is only available as a pre-purchase reward from now until April 4th, so don't miss out. In addition to the Pale Frost Mount Pet, you also receive the following pre-order rewards at launch. So there's the, there's the Abyssinian Privateer's Apparel Costume, the Knights of Flame Pup Pet, a Dark Chivalry Crate, and three High Isle Treasure Maps. And then you also get two Experience Scrolls and double x so these of course grant double xp so <clears throat> i'm of course going to leave uh, the link for this in the show notes but there's also a new pet um yeah the knights of the flame pup pet so that's available at lunch so i gotta say these look kind of cool um i'm really looking forward to that so there's also new there's of course um going to be four different editions that you can get. There's the uh, Elder Squirrels Online Collection High Isle. There's the CE. There's the Upgrade. I'm going to get the Upgrade because I've already got all the other chapters, you know, Elsewhere, Somerset, uh, Graymore. Graymore is another one that kind of had to do with, had to do with Daedric involvement, but not really. Like, the Dark Art itself is um, Daedric, and um, of course, I've mentioned that on the episodes recently. But, um, yeah, and of course, vampires, those have a Daedric tie into them. So, but yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to get the um, upgrade because I've already got all the other chapters. I don't need to pay money for the editions that have all the other ones. So, yeah, I'm really excited about this. Um, They also talked about um, versions of the purchase that include... A knight statue that looks really cool. It says here that you are charged with 
uncovering the plots of a sinister order of knights that threaten the peace and security of High Isle. At the head of this rogue group stands the Ascendant Lord, a mysterious figure, sorry, mysterious force seeking to claim an ancient legacy. So I think that's what the chapter actually is, is or sorry, not the chapter, the statue that I mentioned a second ago. It, it's the menacing Ascendant Lord. So while the main story is a standalone tale in its own right, the events of the High Isle chapter continue the greater legacy of the Breton storyline that begins with the Ascendian, Ascending Tide DLC, which I mentioned earlier, that drops in March. So, and then it talks a little bit more about the card game. So, this chapter also brings a host of challenges, collectibles, and rewards not found elsewhere on Nern, including two companions. Uh, I've got a picture of them here. <clears throat> so, yeah, it mentions Ember and Isabel. Um, they both have their own questline personalities and abilities, a host of delves in public dungeons, and uh, item sets and rewards, of course. So, I am really looking forward to this. Like I said, I... It, it's nice that they're trying to do something new. It's not really so much one of these world-ending events that has to do with the Daedric invasion. It has to do with politics and war and um, cloak and shadow type stuff. So, of course, um, leading up to this, I'm going to have um, character um, background you know, articles that I'll mention on the show. So from now until February 3rd, um, there's stuff in the crown store. There's the uh, Zaji's sailing apparel costume. So yeah, um, there you go. That And um, yeah, here's here's a, a bit about merch here. So the there's the statue. Um, and then they've got high aisle t-shirts and... Uh, with the graphs that you can get on the Bethesda Gear Store, of course they're going to be really expensive. Um, there's a really cool uh, Daedric Dagger that you can get on the uh, Bethesda Gear Store. It, it's really cool looking, but um, one of the people that I know on um, social media looked it up and the dagger is three thousand uh, dollars. Fuck that! I'm not spending three thousand dollars on a dagger. Um, as cool looking as it is, but if you have, um, disposable income, then have at it. So, yeah, I am really looking forward to this. Of course, I have to wait until June 21st because I play on Xbox. But, yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna pre-order this as soon as I can so I can get some of the pre-order bonus shit. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about my gameplay. So, I have been playing a lot of um, ESO lately. So, I think I mentioned this on social media. I may not have, but I recently um, finished the Mages Guild and Fighters Guild quest lines. So, um, also, there's an event going on right now. I should probably mention that. There is... Uh, um, world events going on you know how they do uh, location um, highlight events where you go and you find striking locations in these areas or you finish a or you beat a dungeon boss like in a solo delve or something like that or a world boss um, so that is going on right now and it's gonna be over soon um, 
if it's not already. I think it's through the 30th of January. I could be wrong. But, um, yeah, those locations, if you're listening to this today, when I record this on the 28th of January, it is Vardenfell, Somerset, and Clockwork City. And I was definitely taking part in the Vardenfell and Somerset parts, but I don't have Clockwork City at the moment. So I wasn't able to do that. But, yeah, um, I finished the Fighters Guild and the Mages Guild quest lines in ESO, and they're not that long, really. Um, I don't think it took me more than, like, an hour or two to finish the Fighters Guild quest line. I, I know, I should mention that I'd already done some of it. But, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, they weren't that long. Um, the problem with the Mages Guild quest line is you have to reach a certain rank before it will let you do certain quests and I think I was at level four in the Mage's Guild questline and with the Fighter's Guild questline the way you rank up is to kill Daedra and monsters but with the Mage's Guild it's a little bit different so instead of physical things that you do in the world you have to collect lore books so you have to know where these lore books are and I had to look up some maps on where some of these damn things were. So it took a bit to get to rank level five before I could finish the quest line. Now, like I said, the Fighters Guild quest line had a little bit to do with Moag Ball. Um, one of the members of the Fighters Guild is a Moag Ball worshiper, and that's all I'm gonna say um, if you haven't completed those. <clears throat> so really up until I think I finished most of the quest lines in the game. So, uh, well, um, no, I haven't, I should say, because each zone has its own story. So whether you're in Stros Mackay or Deshaun or Craglorn, uh, Craglorn's actually, yeah, no, that's a zone. Um, High Rock area, so what have you. Each zone has its own story, so it's really hard to run out of things to do in uh, um, ESO, Elder Scrolls Online. So, yeah, um, other than that, I have been playing, uh, since the last time I uh, posted an episode, I finished the main story of WWE 2K20. Now, I hadn't done that before. Um, I played quite a bit of it on PC, but if you listen to uh, Tapes from the Waste from my Fallout podcast, I mentioned that I was playing it again, and they did fix a lot of the bugs. And yeah, now I've finished the main story of that game. Um, Let's see, other than that, I've been playing some Hades. Um, I definitely really enjoy Hades. Uh, I am in the third zone now. I have actually passed the second zone, and I think they call it the Eternal Plane, um, the third zone. I can't remember, but yeah, it's uh, really cool to actually see yourself improve, um, even though you keep dying over and over and over again. So yeah, that game is fun. Um, I started a new character in uh, Mass Effect, um, the trilogy. So I created a female shepherd for this run. Um, I don't know. Um, I wanted to do things differently than I did the last time. So my first uh, completion of the story, I saved Ashley. This time I'm going to save Caden 
only go. And in the suicide mission, I actually lost a couple of people. I lost one of my companions, and then I lost Dr. Chakwas. I am going to avoid that this time. Um, I would like to do another male playthrough at some point so I can romance Tally, and um, I would like to romance Jack at some point, too. But uh, we'll see what I do with this female playthrough. I really wanted to... I've heard a lot of people say that the uh, female shepherd dialogue is a lot better than the male um no offense to mark mirror but you know that's just what they've said they said the same thing about fallout 4 where uh, courtney taylor is better than the male um soul survivor in fallout 4 um i maybe that's a matter of opinion i don't know so but i guess i'll find out um we'll see if it's my opinion uh going forward so yeah other than that, I really haven't played a lot. Um, just a lot of Fallout 76 also. I'm trying to get through the scoreboard. I think I'm up to level 90 on the scoreboard now. So I'm just about done with this one. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the Zayden um, event when that drops. Um, I talked about that on Tapes from the Waste. I don't think that episode is quite out yet. But uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a new episode of Fallout 70, or of our uh, Tapes from the Waste podcast out soon. And yeah, um, not a lot other than that. Um, I'll talk about my Nintendo gameplay whenever the next episode of that comes out. Um, working on revamping that show, and I'm going to start talking about stuff outside the um, games themselves here pretty soon. So... Yeah, be on the lookout for that. I am going to stop rambling now, and we are going to start um, the next segment about Nocturnal. So here we go. Let's talk Nocturnal. All right, guys, so let's talk some Nocturnal. So this is going to be a pretty long segment. There is a lot here. So, as with most of these um, articles, now I'm getting my, normally I just get my articles from the US, UESP, but I'm actually getting some of this from the Fandom Wiki site also. But, as with most of these articles, this one begins with a quote, and this quote comes from Romine Garvet. It says, the singing remains, but the song is gone. No tune, no music, but whispers set to rhythm. Serve her, be shadows, be whispers. Creeping, crawling, but I can't escape. I am caught in the darkness, tar which clings to my clothes. Darkness, tar which clings to my clothes. So, sorry, there's a comma there. So, um, I speak, but am silent. I see, but am blind. Blind, so blind to nothing but her will. So <clears throat> that kind of gives you a little bit of what Nocturnal is all about. It's all about darkness with Nocturnal. So Nocturnal is a Daedric prince whose sphere is the night and darkness. She is known as the Mistress of Shadows, the unfathomable, unfathomable Mistress of Shadows, the Shadow Thief, the Unfathomable, the Empress of Merc, the Shadow Queen, the shadowy hag, while donning her cowl, it says. The lady of twilight, the daughter of twilight, the lady of shadows, the mistress of mystery, 
the Mother of Shadows, Lady Luck, the Night Mistress, and the Prince of Darkness, and the Saint of Suspicion. It says here the most prestigious title that Nocturnal goes by is the title of Erdra, which implies that she is the eldest and most powerful of the Daedric Princes. And it's a title which the Imperial Geographical Society claims nearly all of the royalty of Oblivion recognize. The title was also used by the ancient Khajiit to describe, describe Namira, the eldest spirit, which is the... Well, while this belief conflicts with Nocturnal's claim over the title, it does complement her title that she is part of the original Void, and that she came from the Black Blood, the heart, Dark Heart of Lorcaj, which we did talk about in the Namira episode. But this is a piece of the Primal Void. Nocturnal herself claims that before Oblivion, there was Nocturnal. Hermaeus Mora is similarly, similarly called an Erdaedra, which is elder than Ada. Nocturnal is associated with and often depicted alongside jet black ravens and crows. So if you ever see Nocturnal in person, she usually does have these birds on her shoulders. Or if her arms are outstretched, they're on her arms. But these birds are said to possess the ability to speak. So... You do come across talking crows in ESO, or talking crows or ravens or whatever the hell they are. They're blackbirds. Um, I think they're crows, if I remember right. Yeah, I think the last time I actually encountered some recently in ESO, and I think they were crows. Um, they're like, <laughs> they're crows that are like, they're almost, they almost act like they're soldiers. But um, you do see them in ESO sometimes, so I wonder if that is part of um, if they're associated with nocturnal but uh, nocturnal summoning day is the third of hearthfire and she is she said she may be summoned at any time at a shrine dedicated to her but yeah that's the day that I guess you most people will summon her her enemies are Ebonarm, as always, uh, Meridia, Mayrun's Dagon, and Azura. I'm kind of surprised that she and Azura have some beef, but I guess it makes sense since uh, Azura is the Daedric Prince of Dawn and Dusk. So let's talk about how some cultures view Nocturnal. Let's start with the Khajiit. There is a deity known as Natra in ancient Khajiit mythos. During the cleansing of Lorkaj's corruption, Azura observed the dark heart beating like a drum, with each throb spewing out black blood that trapped the floor to form a rhythm. Subsequently, after the death of Lorkaj, the spirit Natra was born of this black blood at the steps of the Void Gate. Boethra battled the spirit until it knew it was not Namira, and when fight and when the fighting subsided, Natra was brought beside or before Azura to be judged. Azura allowed Natra to live so long as she deserved, as she served, not deserved, Azura and her chosen people, the Khajiit. However, Natra is rebellious by nature, so she fled to the void with the key that she stole from Azura, leading her to send the spirit of Lorkash to find Natra, 
What resulted from this interaction was Natra willing to offer aid to the Kishi when, she, when called, so the tribes may ask her for luck and, the, and darkness to hide them, and the gift of silent movement. She also pr- protects those who walk in the shadows. So this is probably why Khajiit are more gifted at sneaking around than other races are. Summoning Natra is dangerous as she brings the dark with her, and exposure can inadvertently turn a true cat into a Dromatra. Natra is still acknowledged by some Khajiit following the Riddlethrar epiphany. For those of you who are wondering what a Dromatra is, it is a Khajiit who has become corrupted in life and results, and that results in their soul being claimed by Namira. And upon death, they are ultimately lost to Namira. And typically they have fur that is completely black, crossed by lines of glowing blue lightning. They pour into Nern from the dark behind the world where they dance to the pounding of the dark heart. And they are comparable to shades. So that's pretty interesting. I just figured that I would mention it since that is not really one of the first talks that I mentioned in the first talk episode. So let's talk about some of uh, how people worship Nocturnal. So Nocturnal servants come in a variety of flavors. Some worship her as thieves, you know, Shadow Hide Thee, um, that you hear all the time in Oblivion. And she, they, the thieves see her as the patron of all thieves. Some such groups include Nightingales, who if you've played the Thieves Guild in Skyrim, you know who Nightingales are. Um, they're a trio of mortals bound to protect the Ebonmere within the Twilight Sepulchre. Nocturnal is also seen by the Reach Folk as the ever-watchful spirit that has guarded them since the beginning. She is the spirit of night, and they give her offerings in hope that she'll send crows to watch over them. So, yeah, there's some pictures here in the article of what a uh, Gloam Knight... Uh, is one of uh, Nocturnal's followers who has been transformed into this. So it's pretty uh, pretty scary looking if I encountered something like that in real life. So some of Nocturnal's worshippers find Nocturnal mystifying. Though they strive to understand her, Nocturnal's true purpose eludes them. I wonder if that has something to do with the shadowy aspect of Nocturnal. I would imagine so. And attempting to understand this Daedric Prince is usually a futile task. To understand Nocturnal is to negate her, and the Daedric Prince is not simply going to pull back her shroud of darkness to reveal her intentions to anyone. Others are drawn into her service through subtle but not wholly unkind manipulation. That's usually a way to get a Daedric Prince to... Uh, help you is to give them some sort of gift. So, um, lonely individuals who are within proximity of Nocturnal's adherents may begin to dream about the Evergloam, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But they also hear her voice in their head as if she notices them. Nocturnal's uh, Earl, from time to time, of the Daedric Triad came to serve her this way. 
Nocturnal uses mortal emotions to her advantage, using kindness and empathy to draw in the vulnerable. She speaks to select mortals in their dreams, listening to them when they speak and comforting them when they're upset. In the case of Earl Tundilwin, I think is how you pronounce this, in uh, Secondary 582, which of course is the time of Elder Scrolls Online, Nocturnal inserted herself into the servant's life as a surrogate mother figure and granted her power in the court of Bedlam. <clears throat> Excuse me. One particular ferv particularly fervent cultist accounts of her invasion of the Clockwork City are poetic and obsessive. The account speaks of singing shrikes and grotesque imagery. The author, Romian Garvet, who is uh, the person who had that quote at the beginning of this segment, uh, describes Nocturnal as all-encompassing. Whether or not this experience is universal is unclear, but it's obvious that this particular case became very attached to the mistress, but this account also gives outsiders insight into how Nocturnal's influence may affect those who give themselves to her. So let's talk a little bit about different sects of uh, Nocturnal worshippers so, or followers. So we mentioned the Nightingales earlier. So here's a little bit about the Nightingales. So Nocturnal is not a truly organized clergy. Um, so though Nocturnal has no truly organized clergy. She has three mortal servants upon Nern who are known as Nightingales. So they serve Nocturnal directly, granting the power, she grants them power over shadow, subterfuge, and strife in exchange for their service. Once a Nightingale enters into their contract with Nocturnal, they are bound for life. And beyond, uh, so, and, so life and beyond to serve the Night Mistress and Guardian's Twilight Sepulchre. And in Nocturnal's realm, the Evergloom, until Nocturnal feels that Nightingale's contract with her has been fulfilled. So we also have some witches here, or rather witches listed here. So it says here that uh, like most Daedric Princes, Nocturnal has female magic-using worshippers known as witches, of course. In Purloined Shadows, which is a book in the game, I would imagine, a coven dedicated to Nocturnal is seen worshipping her. And Nocturnal seems to enjoy the praise they give her, smiling as they sang of her great mystery. That's all that's listed about that. And of course, there are cultists. So Nocturnal has at least one cult dedicated to her, the Whispering Shadows. They operated throughout the Clockwork City in the Second Era. In Somerset, she has only one known human follower, and that's Earl Tendilwin. So, let's talk a little bit about what Nocturnal has actually done in recorded history. So, she was very present in Elder Scrolls Online, in at least two different storylines. So, it says here that... There, there's a picture here of a wraith of crows, uh, a, a daedra which serves nocturnal. So it just kind of looks like a giant walking crow that has a sword, and it's skeletal. So um, yeah, just look that picture up if you care to. So it says here in Second Era 582, of course, the events of Elder Scrolls Online, there is a cult dedicated to Nocturnal that attempted to establish a shrine to the Daedric Prince in Falder's Tooth, which is located in the Rift. So Nocturnal 
was a part of the Daedra Triad that consisted herself, of herself, Mephala, and Clavicus Vile. This, of course, is the events of the Somerset DLC. I've mentioned that quite a few times uh, through my series on the Daedra Princes, so I won't go into that a lot. But it turned out that Nocturnal kind of, she turned on the other two, and you end up having to take her on in the very end of that. So she is the last boss that you've got to fight in the Somerset chapter. So that was certainly interesting. She's not the first Age of Prince I've had to take on in ESO, but that was kind of cool. So she also may have had minor involvement in the Sea Slowed Sorceress Maja. Zamaja, I think is how you pronounce that. Z apostrophe M A J A. I have no clue. Um, that's my best attempt, though. Zamaja. Um, that slows conquest of Cloud Rest, which occurred in the same year. Zamaja's Zamaja possessed an amulet that granted her powerful shadow magic, which also allowed her to kill countless citizens and make shadowy clones of Somerset's protectors. So. That's also part of the Somerset chapter, or DLC, in ESO. So, Nocturnal also, um, yeah, that, that's really all that's mentioned here, I guess. Uh, but yeah, she was heavily involved in two different stories in the Somerset uh, DLC chapter, what have you. But, um... There are quests that take place in Oblivion. Um, it's actually not really listed in the articles that I've been trying to find. I'm not sure why. But in Oblivion, she is... Uh, her Daedric quest has to do with the Ring of Namira. I guess a couple of people in Leowen stole it. And she, she wants you to go and retrieve it. And in doing so, like, you have to find who these thieves are. And you go into this house in Leowen, and you find a couple of people talking about it. And so you have to find where they hid it. And once you complete the quest, you get the skeletal key. Skeleton key. So this quest is one of the first Daedric Prince quests that I do in Oblivion because it's for the skeleton key. So the skeleton key is pretty essential. Um, like I said, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I get it really quickly because lock picking is not the easiest thing to do in Oblivion. The mechanics are completely different than they are in Skyrim and Morrowind. In Morrowind, you just equip a lockpick and then just keep, as a weapon, you equip the lockpick like you would a weapon and you just use it until it works. In Skyrim, of course, it's more like what you would find in Fallout where you have a bobby pin or, you know, the lock pick and then you have a screwdriver or something and you have to turn the, the lock. In Oblivion, you have to insert the lock pick and then push up on a bunch of different tumblers the number depends on what type of lock it is. If it's a very easy lock, it's one tumbler. If it's, you know, an easy lock, it's two. You know, average is three, so on and so forth. 
and you just have to keep doing that and if your skill level isn't high enough if you screw up then some of those tumblers might fall back down so with the skeleton key being an unbreakable lockpick i always do the nocturnal daedric prince quest as quickly as i can so in skyrim she is heavily involved in the thieves guild storyline and this is actually the first time that i found or i met nocturnal in person i know she has a quest in daggerfall and i didn't really find anything about that when i was doing my research for this episode i apologize i know that in daggerfall a lot of that's the first time you see a lot of these daedric princes in person and there is a picture of what she looks like in the uesp article if you're interested so yeah you actually meet nocturnal in person and you do get the skeleton key in skyrim and the final quest in the Thieves Guild storyline is to return the skeleton key to the Twilight Sepulchre. And that's a lot of... A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people don't ever finish the Thieves Guild questline in Skyrim because of that. Who want, want to give up the skeleton key? It's an unbreakable lockpick. Like, why the hell would you do that? But if you want to return the Thieves Guild to its former glory, then you gotta break you know you gotta bite the bullet and do it so yeah a lot of people just hold on to that and i can't say i blame them but if they want that final achievement then they got to do it and you know just get your lock picking skill up to you know where you don't even need it <laughs> i mean there's lock picks everywhere i guess but um yeah that is really all that i can find on what nocturnal has done in recorded history in Tamriel. So let's talk about the artifacts. So here, here's something that I didn't mention earlier. There is another artifact that is a big part of the Thieves Guild quest line in Oblivion, not Skyrim, Oblivion. And it's the Grey Cow of Nocturnal. So it is something that's passed down from person to person, you don't realize this when you're going through the Oblivion Thieves Guild questline, but the leader of the Thieves Guild in Oblivion is called Gray Fox, and he has this gray cowl that he wears, and what it does is it completely obscures the face of the wearer, but not just that, it completely wipes your identity. So when you put it on, it hides your identity in every way possible. So this is kind of funny. A lot of people who are playing games like Morrowind or Oblivion or whatever, they'll get bored, which how the hell do you get bored playing this game? But they'll go on a rampage and just start killing everybody. They'll wipe out entire towns. And I have done that one time. Now, I didn't wipe out the entire town, but there was one point where I was playing Oblivion, and I was in Shadenhall, and I just started attacking people. So, I'm wearing the Grey Cow of Nocturnal. So, yeah, I, I didn't start killing people until I put this on. And I just start killing people, and it turned into me fighting all the guards. So, I just kept killing guard after guard after guard after guard. And when I had my fill, I took off 
the cowl, and the guard that I was in the process of fighting goes, "Good, good to see you. How are you?" And it was just really funny. Like it, at, like he acted like I was a completely different person. And he's just like, "Wait, why? No, okay. Uh, have a good day. See you later." So not only does it completely obscure the wearer to everybody around them but it also greatly boosts your encumbrance level and yeah it's just it's a really cool item so it it's a really like that is that definitely makes completing the thieves guild in oblivion worth it so there's also a quote here and it's uh, i think it's from emmer Daryloth, I think, it, the first guild master of the Thieves Guild. Um, he actually, that guy actually stole it. And it says here, I, I think that is who the quote is from. I could be wrong, but it says, Whoever, whosoever wears it shall be lost in the shadows. His true nature shall be unknown to all who meet him, and his identity shall be struck from all records and histories. Memory will hide in the shadows, refusing to record the name of the owner to any who meet him. He shall be known by the cow and only by the cow. And this curse was broken when history was rewritten through the use of an Elder Scroll. So, not only... what So when you're playing Oblivion and you're wearing this cow, your bounty level is set to the cow. So if you take the cowl off, your bounty is what it is when you're not wearing the cowl. So yeah, it, it talks a little bit, like I got an article here about the lore behind the cowl. So it's, uh, it's said to once belong to Nocturnal and it of course obscures the face of the wearer. And her reputation as the mistress of shadows has sometimes led thieves to attempt to steal an item from her to prove their greatness. So, Emir Daryloth actually uh, allegedly stole the cowl from Nocturnal herself. So, it's also said here that the cowl is inscribed with the phrase, Shadow Hide You, which you hear all the time in Oblivion when you're dealing with the Thieves Guild. So... Like I said, the cowl then gets passed down from Guildmaster to Guildmaster. A lot of people in Oblivion think that the Grey Fox had been the same person over all the years. Um, I'm not going to spoil who the last Grey Fox is before he gives you the cowl at the end of the Thieves Guild questline in Oblivion. So... I guess the gray cowl did make its way to Skyrim. I don't remember seeing it in the main story, but there is a DLC, or not a DLC, but a Creation Club mod where you actually get the gray cowl. I don't really consider that canon because technically the Creation Club are all mods, but it was cool to see the, the gray cowl in Skyrim once um, you get that creation club content I have the anniversary edition so yeah it was it was a good time so yeah that is the gray cowl let's talk about skeleton key now so I already mentioned that it is a an unbreakable lockpick and it is also it it, it it's there are people who believe 
that it was originally uh, Azura's skeleton key, but I, I don't know. I don't know how much I believe that. So, <clears throat> yeah, let's uh, talk a little bit about skeleton keys. So, it doesn't always take the form of a key. Um, sometimes it takes the uh, form of a lockpick. But the, in Skyrim, it looks completely different. It looked like a key with many different ends on it. So, it kind of... Um, Sometime after the death of Lorcaj, Nocturnal was born of the Black Blood, and um, of course, so it says here that Noctra was brought before Azura to be judged, and Azura allowed Noctra to live so long as she served Azura and the Jakaje. Instead, when the opportunity was right, Noctra stole the skeleton key from Azura and fled into the void. So, I guess it's part of the Khajiiti myth here. But the first supposed wielder of the key was the thief Arovan, A-R-R-O-V-A-N. And after disappearing, the key would always choose inaccessible places to hide for the benefit of historians. Arovan made a list of the various rest resting places. So in the mid-second era, the key was in the possession of Sothasil, who kept it in his Clockwork City. Nocturnal tried to take control of the Clockwork City during the events of ESO, and she summoned Sothasil's shadow, who replaced him as the ruler of the Clockwork City. So this is part of the Clockwork City DLC. Meanwhile, the Clockwork Apostle Chancellor Gascon um, Desant sought to deliver the skeleton key which had been accidentally found by Fectrum beneath the beneath the brass fortress to Clavicus Vile only for the key to be stolen by the Blackfeather Court. That's the court of crows that I was talking about earlier. So the Vestige, who is your character, assisted by Deventh Fur and Clockwork City Apostles unveiled the plot but were unable to reclaim the skeleton key before it was taken by Sotha Shell Shadow. And um, yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, spoil all the Clockwork City DLC, but definitely go play that when you get the chance. Um, I had a lot of fun playing through that. So let's see. It talks about the Silicrum. Um, here, the skeleton key was uncovered a number number of times. The Eternal Champion discovered the artifact in either Valenwood or the Somerset Isles. So this is the events of Arena. So following a number of rumors, the key had appeared in one of the un, in one of the known dungeons. So I guess it's a random mechanic uh, where you can find it in different places. So the key was then recovered in Hammerfell by the Spire, the, by the Spire Thieves of Broken Wing during the time of the War at Bendramuk. In Third Era 397, the soul, con uh, the soul of Conflict invaded the Broken Wing and experimented, sorry, exterminated the Spire Thieves within the dungeon. They located the key within their treasure trove. So that is Daggerfall, I believe. No, no, um, no. I'm sorry, that's still, that's, um, sorry, I'm getting my dates wrong. That's before Daggerfall. 
So, in the events leading up to the Warp of the West, there's an unknown agent of the Blades, that is your character in Daggerfall, um, was tasked by Nocturnal to kill a mage in the stronghold in return for the skeleton key. So that's how you get it in Daggerfall. But the mage had already had a contingency plan in case the Daedric Prince sent someone to slay them. They created a fake artifact, which is Ariel's bow, um, the staff of Magnus or the Warlock's ring that functioned identically to the true artifact to tempt the agent with. So they give you a bunch of options like, hey, don't take the skeleton key from me and I will give you one of these. Um, I guess if you are uh, dumb enough to take one of those artifacts, I guess I shouldn't say dumb, but if you do end up taking one of those artifacts, it degrades after several days. Enough time to flee when the illusion was broken. Accounts conflict if the agent took up the mage, took the mage up on their offer and was bamboozled, or if they slayed the mage and received the key. So I would suggest the latter. So here is um, events of uh, Morrowind. I guess there is a nocturnal presence in Morrowind. The key later came into possession of Gentleman Jim Stacy, leader of the Thieves Guild in Vardenfell. By 3rd Era 427, the Kimona Tong aligned themselves with the Fighters Guild Master in Vardenfell. I don't remember this. I never really did any of the Daedric quests in Morrowind. I need to go back and play that. The Alliance used the Fighters Guild as an extension of the Kimona Tong's influence, hunting them down and eliminating the struggling Thieves Guild to prevent them gaining a foothold in Vardenfell. So, I guess I should say that I've never really played the Thieves Guild quest in Vardenfell in Morrowind, because uh, there is a mechanic where if you join the Fighters Guild, it kind of blocks you from joining the Thieves Guild. I did think at one point, and this may actually be true, that the Thieves Guild kind of race locks you. So if you're like a big um, race, like a Nord or an Orc, you are going to have more trouble doing things like sneaking around. So that may be part of it, but it more than likely had to do with the fact that I'd already joined the Fighters Guild. So... Yeah, that kind of is a conflict of interest in that game. So it's rumored that after Storning Hardheart, Yoring Hardheart, I don't know if that's a silent ass, I don't know, um, and his lieutenant's corruption was discovered. Um, so they were actually hunting down and eliminating the Thieves Guild to prevent them gaining a foothold. And it's unknown if, or it's rumored that their corruption was discovered and they were brought to justice, though it's unknown if this was a work of the Thieves Guild or if this was internal cleansing by the Fighters Guild. Okay, yeah, I need to, I really need to do this at some point, but I can't with my current character because I've already joined the Fighters Guild. Um, there's also documents that contradict the victory against the Kimona Tong, instead stating that the corrupt Fighters Guild and the Kimona Tong were wiped out um, or they've wiped their opposition out. Regardless, the skeleton key was either taken from Gentleman Jim Stacy's corpse after his loss, or he passed the key to the next Thieves Guild master. So, yeah, um, that's all new to me. I've never done the Thieves Guild. I've done the Fighters Guild. I've actually uh, finished the Fighters Guild on a 
earlier playthrough, but I've never done the Thieves Guild, so that is interesting to me. So I've already talked about um, the Skeleton Key's presence in Oblivion and Morrowind, so I re won't really go into that, but here is a list of previous owners of the Skeleton Key. There is Sothisil, there's Deviant Fur, there's Arovan, there's the Spire th Thieves of the Broken Wing, there's an anonymous worshiper of Nocturnal, don't know who that is, and there is Gentleman Jim Stacy, and then there is Mercer Frey. And we all know who about Mercer Frey, so yeah. Um, play the Thieves Guild questline in Skyrim. So here is an article about the Bow of Shadows. So the Bow of Shadows is an article, or I'm sorry, an artifact, not article. Um, I'm reading an article that, according to legend, was forged by the Daedric Prince Nocturnal. There is a legendary ranger named Raelus uh, Guile, I think is how you pronounce that, and who was granted the bow for a secret mission that failed. The bow was lost, though Raelus is said to have used it to take scores of his foes down with him. So the bow is said to grant the user invisibility and increased speed. So got a little bit more information here. So uh, many sightings have been reported of the bow. It is said that in the second era, uh, there is a second era Dunmer assassin named Drom who once wielded it. Drom likely used the bow during the Battle of Hungding Bay and he, when he shot Prince Ator with a poison arrow that eventually killed him. Drom also made use of the bow during the rebellion of Stros Mackay. So this is actually during the events of Elder Scrolls Redguard, not uh, any of the mainline games. So yeah. Um, Drom made use of the bow during the rebellion of Stros Mackay that led to that was led by the Restless League, most notably in a battle against Cyrus the Redguard. So that is the main character that you play as in Elder Scrolls Redguard. Near the end of the Third Era, the bow came into the possession of a necromancer named Goris the Maggot King. In Third Era 427, the Nerevine killed him and his accomplice Luvin in the Venom Ancestral Tomb, which is in the Grayslands of Vardenfell which Goris used as a lair. The Nerevine then retrieved the bow, and later that year the bow was sold to Taurus Aram and put on display in the Museum of Artifacts in Mournhold. So, yeah. Um, I've played a little bit of Redguard, but not more than an hour or two. Um, I did get to Soros Mackay and talk to some of the people there, and that was about it. But now, unless you get it off of GOG.com, it's pretty hard to get. And not everybody would recommend playing it. I think it is interesting, but just to kind of see the transition from a game like Arena or Daggerfall to a game like Morrowind, where it went 3D. Which it kind of did have like a pseudo 3D in Arena and Daggerfall, but yeah, um, true 3D. So let's talk a little bit about the Eye of Nocturnal. I talked, I mentioned it earlier. Um, Little is known about this item's origin or abilities other than it was stolen by two Argonians in 3rd Era 433, that's the events of Oblivion, and subsequently returned to the prince in exchange for the skeleton keys. Nocturnal herself described uh, Nocturnal described herself as being able to see from the eye, stating that the thieves who stole it were seen by the artifact, which is kind of interesting. So let's talk about 
Nocturnal's Realm of Oblivion, the Evergloam. Now, you do get to see the Evergloam in ESO. It was really cool to see. Um, you get to see it a couple of different times in ESO. So, the Evergloam is, of course, a realm of oblivion created and ruled over by Nocturnal, the Dagger Prince of Shadow. It is a realm of perpetual twilight and the, the Cradle of Shadow. The Evergloam consists of a primary plane and several pocket realms, including the Shade Perilous and the Crowswood. I think we know what's in the Crowswood. These realms are thought to be consistently shifting and are perceived differently by different mortals. It is filled with forests whose trees cast long shadows over purple landscape, and the land is dotted by crumbling buildings and sunken crypts. So there are some servants that are in the Evergloam. They are Daedra known as Nocturnal Shrikes, which are simply called Nocturnals or Shrikes. Grievous Twilights, Gloam Knights, Wraith of Crows, and these creatures are made of shadow and crow daedra. Intelligent shadow creatures such as Gloam Hags can cooperate with Shrikes to cast scrying spells to spy on other daedra cults and daedric, or I'm sorry, nocturnal's enemies. When they see a journal or document of interest, they may cast a duplication spell to create a copy. One Daedra Lord in the form of a Hag Raven is known as the Crow Mother and describes herself as a nether niece of Nocturnal. She rules over the pocket realm of Oblivion known as Crowswood, populated by intelligent crows. So we got a little bit more here. So there's different rooms or places that you can find in ESO that are described here, such as the Crowswood and the Shade Perilous. Um, I won't talk a ton about that, um, just go play ESO, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, you it's just something you kind of experience for yourself. There's also the Garden of Shadows, um, where you can go to at one point. So, yeah, it talks about, let's talk about, um, Shade Perilous a little bit, and then we'll talk about Crowswood. So, the Shade Perilous is Apocalypse. Pocket Realm of Oblivion, not Apocalypse, uh, kind of an Apocalypse, I guess, um, that is coveted by many Daedra clans of harvestable darkling mana that's present. It was taken by armies of Mayron's Dagon at one point during his invasion of the Battle Spire during the Imperial Similar Crumb, or that's a difficult word to pronounce. Um, he sent some Zivili there and they became overzealous and simply. Uh, instead of, in, of simply obtaining passage, uh, they took it by force. And, um, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I don't know if I'd ever want to play Battlespire just from what I've seen Lotus of Doom, um, do in there, or have happened to him while playing. Um, it is interesting, though, just from a lore aspect, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess the less we talk about Battle Spire, the better. But uh, Crowswood is uh, made of... It uh, resembles a forest, and it's a poor imitation compared to Tamriel. But it's inhabited by the Blackfeather Court. So, yeah, we've talked a lot about the Blackfeather Court earlier. 
So, sometime during the Second Era, a Dunmer member of the Mage's Guild named Rulantari Oron, uh, Rulantari Oron, I think this is my best attempt to pronounce that, uh, discovered the Crow's Wood in search for more powerful spells, and he created an enchanted chest to open a portal to the realm, and hid it in a small cave near Davin's Watch in Morrowind. So he attempted to gain favor with the Crow Mother by professing love for her, but, um... He instead was imprisoned in her tower by, um, there's his son, uh, Telebril, which he had to enter the realm in search of his father, and you help him get him out. So, yeah. there. Here's some uh, trivia here about Nocturnal. So, in Oblivion, Nocturnal is voiced by Catherine Fly. In Skyrim, she's voiced by Lonnie Manelli, Manella, excuse me who also voices the Night Mother and several female Dunmer in Skyrim, I guess. I didn't know the Night Mother. Yeah, I guess the Night Mother does speak in Skyrim. She speaks in Oblivion, too, uh, but it doesn't say who the Night Mother voice is voiced by in Oblivion. In Skyrim, Nocturnal is one of only four Daedric Prince who uh, interacts with the Dragonborn in her true form, rather than an aspect or shrine, which was really cool to see. Um, like I said, just play through the Thieves Guild in Skyrim, if nothing else, than to see Nocturnal in person. The other princes to do it are Sanguine, Shea Gorath, and Hermaeus Mora, of course. Nocturnal is one of only two Daedric princes without an official Daedric quest in Skyrim, other than Jigalag. We'll talk about Jigalag later. Um, <clears throat> I'll talk about Jigalag when we talk about Shea Gorath. So the article in the UESP wiki does show uh, Nocturnal in Daggerfall and, and ESO in Skyrim. And there's also some emblems that it shows as well as what her shrine looks like in Oblivion and Skyrim. So yeah, um, also there's a picture here of Nocturnal in the Somerset announcement trailer, so which is really cool. Anyway, that is it as far as Nocturnal. So definitely, definitely get on playing ESO and Skyrim if you haven't, and Oblivion. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't. The Thieves Guild questline in Oblivion, when I played it, had a lot of bugs, but I think they've since been patched out because the Skyrimatic podcast has been playing through the Thieves Guild questline on um, for their show as a roundtable, kind of like how uh, Fallout Feed has a Fallout roundtable, the Skyrimatic podcast has a an Elder Scrolls roundtable. I need to get on that at some point. Anyway, yeah, that is it as far as Nocturnal. I would like to thank the Hive as always for sponsoring this podcast. And if you would like to support me. Definitely, definitely leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as well as um, Spotify now. You can leave a rating and review on Spotify. So, yeah, definitely help me out there. Get the word out about the show. So, I'm sorry that this episode um, was a little bit delayed. Like I said earlier, I was dealing with COVID. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to get into that a ton. Um, as I already said, but yeah, um, fun times. Anyway, next up we will be talking about periite. So there's not going to be a ton of periite 
info out there um, aside from what you see in Skyrim really um, just not one of the more the better known Daedric Princes but his quest in Skyrim is definitely worth doing so anyway we will talk about that next week so yeah also if, if you'd like to get a hold of me look me up on Twitter or Instagram my personal page is iangold08 and you can follow the show at P. If you would like to play ESO with me or another game, multiplayer game, there are some that I play, uh, Fallout 76, or some others, you can find me on Xbox at Sulior, S-U-L-I-O-R-E, and yeah, um, definitely uh, check out my other shows. Also, there's Nintendo where we're about to go kind of um, through a revamp where I'm going to be starting to talk about things outside of the games and characters like the Nintendo PlayStation, how Nintendo, Nintendo, it's the show on Nintendo, where um, how Nintendo went from a company that sold playing cards to what it is today, uh, Virtual Boy, stories like that. So yeah, definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, I just finished up a series on the Legend of Zelda. So that was a lot of fun. And then there's Tapes from the Waste where we talk about Fallout lore. And we've got an episode of that coming out really soon. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I had a lot of fun doing the the 2021 year in review. Um, So definitely, you know, listen to that also while you're waiting on the new episodes to come out. So... Yeah, I'm going to quit rambling because apparently I'm having trouble talking today. And I guess, as always, stay safe, adventurers.